Uh, this morning, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, uh, verses 24 through 39. And Julia is going to come and read the uh, scripture reading for us this morning. Morning. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house of Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the name of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household." Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) I want to change that. Instead of saying thanks be to God, we're going to say thank you, Lord. Let's try that again. Thank you, Lord. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this opportunity to read, study, to meditate on your word. It is true and beautiful and good and it brings life. So this morning we pray that as we um, meditate on it, that you'd be with us, that you'd draw near to us, that you would comfort those who need comfort, that you would convict those who need convicting, uh, that you would convert those that need conversion, that you would convince the unconvinced And that, Lord God, that you would meet all of us in this place and this time exactly the way that we need you. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, You'll have to forgive me. I had some technical difficulties this morning, so I am not promoting Apple laptops. I just (laughs) had printer difficulties, could not print my uh, sermon this morning, so I'll be preaching from my laptop. Uh, Bear with me. It's my first time to ever do that. So uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at Jesus's trust instructions from this passage. Uh, If you've been with us as we have gone through the the teachings of Jesus through Matthew, uh, you know that we've been spending a a number of weeks here in Matthew chapter 10, looking at Jesus's harvest instructions. He has uh, been ministering, he's been preaching and healing people. Uh, And he has uh, crowds of people gathering around them. Uh, He looked at them and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. He told his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, raise up laborers to go out into the harvest, to reap the harvest of souls that God is preparing. Right, And so we have been, uh, and then he preaches them a sermon. And in this sermon, he explains how to do missions and evangelism Jesus's way. 
right? So last week we looked at his uh, instructions that he gave them that they were supposed to remember when they faced trouble, when they faced persecution. Uh, well, this week we're going to look at the, sort of the second half of that, which is, okay, if we're going to face this trouble, if we're going to face this persecution, then how can we trust God in the midst of that persecution? So I've titled this sermon, Trust Instructions. Uh, if you're familiar with a, a commentator named uh, Dale Bruner, he's got a fabulous commentary, uh, but he calls us trust instructions, and, and I just love that. And so that's what I've called it this morning. Um, as we begin to venture on mission with Jesus, it doesn't take long before we experience opposition. And the reason why we experience opposition is because uh, there is the world that we see here, and there is a real spiritual dimension out there that is waging war against us. Uh, Paul tells us that there are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places that wage war against God's people, and you will experience uh, that war as soon as you begin to go out on mission with Jesus. And uh, there's, there's two, there, there's sort of, I think, you know, a couple different traps we can fall into as we go in that war. Uh, one is the apathetic route, where we just don't go at all. And Jesus doesn't really give us an option here. <laughs> if, you, you know, if you take Jesus' word serious here in Matthew 10, he doesn't give us that option. And then I think there's maybe the, the fatalistic route of like, okay, well, we're going to go out there, we're going to do this thing, but we don't really know what's going to happen. Uh, and as I thought about that route, it reminded me of uh, a movie called Band of Brothers. It's also a book uh, about soldiers in World War II. And in that, uh, in that story, there was a man who was in battle but he was afraid. He wouldn't go into the fight. He wouldn't fire his gun. He wouldn't fight. And he was, uh, he was talking with one of the other soldiers. And the other soldier said, uh, son, you need to get out there. You need to fight. You need to go. And he said, I, I can't. I'm scared. And the guy looked at him and, and said, you know why you're scared? Because you think you're going home. See, I know I'm not going home. And because I know I'm not going home, then I can go fight. That is not the way that we fight on mission with Jesus. We don't fight because we know we're not going home. We fight because we're going home. We fight because of what Jesus has already done for us. We fight like Desmond Doss, who also fought in World War II. But Desmond Doss was a conscientious objector. That means that he objected to certain aspects of the war. However, he wanted to serve, so he enlisted as a medic, but he refused to pick up a gun. He refused to kill, even though he thought the war may be necessary. So he went as a medic, and he and his uh, battalion stormed Hacksaw Ridge, trying to take Okinawa. And when they got up there, they met heavy resistance from the Japanese and his, uh, his battalion was destroyed, and all of his men retreated except for him. And he stayed on Hacksaw Ridge all night long by himself, retrieving wounded soldiers one by one. And over the course of the night, he retrieved 75 soldiers without firing a single bullet. In the face of great opposition, he was fearless because of his faith. He knew that his heavenly father loved him, had called him, 
was protecting him. And so he went on mission in faith. When we go on mission with Jesus, we go on mission in faith, not in fear. We go on mission because we know that our heavenly father loves us and he has given his life for us. And so we give our lives for him. And so this morning, what we're going to look at is uh, these trust instructions for Jesus. And I want you to see three ways that we can live by faith in God in the midst of persecution. The first is we live by faith in God's approval. And then we live by faith in God's judgment. And then lastly, we live by faith in God's sacrifice. First thing we see is that we live by faith in God's approval. Look back at the passage. Look back at uh, verses 24 through 27. Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor is a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Since we are like Jesus, and he is our teacher, and he is our master, then they will treat us the way that they treated Jesus. The world will treat us the way that they treated Jesus. They will malign us the way that they maligned him. Uh, to, ma- to malign somebody means to speak slanderous of them. To, um, to curse them, to blaspheme them, to deride them, right? Uh, think about uh, Matthew 9. We, we read this uh, a few uh, months ago, but Jesus was healing people and they looked at Jesus and they said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. They were calling Jesus demonic. They were, they were blaspheming him. They were maligning him. And Jesus says, if they maligned me, then they're gonna malign you. But in the midst of that, he does not want us to fear man's opinion. See, that's one of our biggest fears, isn't it? We we fear the disapproval of man. We fear what other people are going to say about us. We fear what they'll say if they know that we're Christian. We fear what they might say about us at, at, at school, on the ball field, in the office, in the community, if they know that we believe in the truth of Jesus and we live to demonstrate his ministry in word and deed, then on some level, at some point, we're going to experience persecution. And we're going to be maligned because Jesus was maligned. And Jesus tells us, when that happens, don't fear their opinion. Don't fear the disapproval of man because in the end, the truth of the gospel of the kingdom is going to be revealed. That's what he's telling them here. The glory, eventually the glory of God is going to cover the earth the way that the waters cover the sea. Eventually every knee is going to bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The bright light of the truth of the kingdom is going to drive out the darkness of this world. And they may judge us and condemn us now, but in the end, they will be judged and condemned if they reject God's word and reject the gospel. Uh, Peter says it this way, with respect to this, they're surprised 
when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Jesus wants us to live by faith in our Heavenly Father instead of living in fear and hiding our faith. He wants us to share our faith. He wants us to proclaim it from the rooftops. He wants us to to open these doors up and yell it to the community so everyone can hear the gospel of the kingdom, so everyone can experience the life and the joy and the peace of Jesus. And when we do that, when when we proclaim this gospel of the kingdom, yes, we're rejected, but also people are going to come in and God is going to bring in the harvest. I heard a story this week uh, uh, about a pastor whose uh, oldest sister went off to college and became a Christian. And they did not come from a Christian household. So she had a challenge to face whenever she came back home. Was she going to share her new faith with her family? So she came back to that, that family meal that first trip home, and she told her whole family that she had converted to Christianity. She was met with some opposition and some skepticism, but he said that over the next five years, she tenderly, patiently, uh, caringly shared the gospel with him, and eventually he became a Christian, and her conversion changed the entire story of their whole family, and now he's a minister that shares the gospel with people, and many have come to faith through him all because she was willing to share her faith with her family. She was willing to bear disapproval because she had the approval of God. Are we willing to do that? Do we live by faith in God's approval that in Jesus Christ, we have the infinite love and acceptance of our heavenly father we have the infinite love and acceptance of our Heavenly Father, then we can bear the disapproval of anybody on earth. Uh, one pastor that I read said this. He said, the biggest problem to evangelism in our culture is not that non-Christians don't know Christians. He said, non-Christians know Christians. The problem is they don't know they know Christians because we have so many undercover Christians that aren't willing to share their faith in word and deed. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Be willing to share your faith with others. That's the way that you participate in my mission. That's the way that I will save them, and that's the way that I will save you. Perhaps their disapproval is not what we fear most, but perhaps it's damage. Perhaps it's destruction. Perhaps it's physical harm. And so Jesus addresses that fear in verses 28 through 33. He says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are, worth, you are more valuable than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men... I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. (laughs) Jesus knows that we're afraid of those who can hurt us physically. He knows that, that physical harm is a possibility. And yet, he encourages us to live by faith in our Heavenly Father, not by fear in our enemies. (laughs) 
Who are the enemies of a Christian? It's the world with its sinful structures that rebel against God. It's the flesh, which is our own sinful nature that rebels against God. And it's the devil, who's the real uh, person of evil, who lives behind the flesh and the world, and who orchestrates the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that are working behind what we see here every day. And it's those forces that battle against Jesus and his people. In Revelations, it tells us that because Satan couldn't stop the birth of Jesus, he went off to make war against his people. And he has been making war against his people ever since. And we experience persecution. It's because the world, the flesh, and the devil are warring against us. But Jesus tells us, he says, don't fear them. Why not? Because they can only kill the body, they can't kill the soul. He tells us to fear the one who can kill the body and the soul in hell. When you look at the whole teaching of Scripture, and you understand this passage and the whole context of Scripture, what you see is that the world, the flesh, and the devil are all colluding. They're all working together to bring us into judgment to bring us into this place called hell. And ultimately, hell is a place of God's judgment and God's punishment. So the, the topics of hell and judgment uh, make us uncomfortable, <laughs> right? They probably make most of us uncomfortable, but it's important that we talk about it, right? And it, it's important that we talk about it because Jesus talks about it. Jesus talks about hell and judgment more than any other writer in the Bible, more than any other speaker in the Bible, uh, the gospel show Jesus talking about hell and judgment. And so uh, we can't pick and choose the Jesus that we want, right? We can't say, well, I love the, the healing Jesus and the teaching Jesus, but I don't love the Jesus that talks about hell and judgment. Well, that's not Jesus. That's not the real Jesus. We also need to talk about hell and judgment because we live in a world where there is incredible injustice, where there are, are terrors and tragedies and the only way I think to understand them and explain them is through the biblical ideas of hell and judgment. If, if what Jesus says is not real, if what the Bible says isn't real, uh, then Halley, Scruggs, and Hitler, in the end, get the same punishment. Is that right? Is that true? Is that good? No. So we have to come face to face with what Jesus says here. He uses this word, Gehenna, he uses the word hell. It's, it's a word that means Gehenna. Uh, and there was a th theologian named G.E. Ladd that, that I'm borrowing from heavily in this area. And, and he talks, he describes what Jesus would have meant what, uh, when he used this word. He said, Gehenna is a, a location that's southwest of Jerusalem where ancient pagans sacrificed their children's, children to the god of Moloch by forcing them to walk through a fire. And that place became a place of judgment for God's people. It became a symbol of God's place of judgment. Jeremiah tells us that. So Jesus calls hell the place of fire that can damage both body and soul. He describes it as a fiery abyss and a furnace of fire. He describes it as an eternal fire prepared for the devil, his angels, and for those who reject Jesus. He also describes it as outer darkness. 
The fire and the darkness represent the agonizing pain of Jesus in the end saying, depart from me. I never knew you. The essence of hell is the exclusion of God's presence and the enjoyment of all of his blessings. Uh, Jesus describes that state as a permanent state and a conscious state in Luke 16. All those verses I quoted from you were from Matthew and Mark. I can, I can send you those references if you want to see them sometime. Uh, in, in Revelation, we get this picture that upon death, those who are in Christ immediately go to heaven and be with Jesus, and those who are not in Christ wait in death and Hades for their judgment. And then it describes a final judgment where the living and the dead come before Jesus to give an account for their deeds. And those who record it in the book of life live with Jesus in heaven. And those who are not recorded in the book of life are cast into the lake of fire. Why would Jesus use such an uncomfortable doctrine to comfort his disciples in the face of persecution. Let me give you a few reasons. First, I think it's important for our own conversion. It's important for our own conversion. The path to eternal life starts with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When we fear the Lord, then we begin to see that his will and his ways are better than our will and our ways. The fear of the Lord leads us to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior and rest in him for salvation. Uh, this, the ideal of hell, hell and, and judgment actually played a huge role in my conversion. Uh, I remember being a, a sophomore in high school uh, and going to church camp uh, very much uh, someone who had lived in rebellion and had rejected God's will and rejected God's ways. Uh, and I remember uh, going to church camp and listening to the sermon preached and this pastor preaching on hell and judgment. And I was convicted of my sin. And I looked at my friend Ashley sitting next to me and I said, Ashley, if I die tonight, I think I would go to hell. And she said, you need to go talk to our youth pastor. And I said, yeah, I need to talk to him now. And I went and I prayed and I had prayed before, but there was something different about that time because I was under a conviction of my sin. I was under conviction that what I deserved was judgment and wrath. But what God had given me was an opportunity to, to experience life in Jesus. And so I gave my life to Christ and the fear of the Lord led me to experience God as my heavenly father. It's important that we live by faith in God's judgment because when we trust God's judgment, it leads us from the fear of the Lord into a fatherly relationship with him. Right? To where now there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus and we don't have to fear him the way we fear a master. We fear him the way a, a perfect child fears a perfect father. Even though we're imperfect, he is perfect and so we can trust him. And I think Jesus wants to, to, that when we get into persecution and suffering, he wants us to look at him like a good, loving, caring father. And that's why he, he transitions into this section on the sparrows and the hare. You see, faith in our heavenly father leads us to fearlessness in the face of persecution. When we live by faith in God's judgment, 
then we don't have to fear man's persecution. One, one commentator said this way, if you fear the Lord, you have nothing else to fear. Think about it this way. Imagine that right now we were in this service and a mouse ran across the floor. There's probably a lot of you who would be afraid and you would jump and you would get scared, right? Let's say a, a mouse runs across the floor right there. You all get afraid. Now let's say as that mouse was running across the floor, there was a lion that emerged from behind me. Which would you be more afraid of, the mouse or the lion? You'd be more afraid of the lion, right? The fear of the lion casts out the fear of the mouse. What Jesus is saying is the people who can kill the body, they're the mouse. The lion is God. The lion is Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And if you fear him and that leads you to to receive him and rest in him for salvation, then you have nothing else to fear. Because your father loves you and he cares for you. He cares for you uh, more than he cares for the sparrows. Jesus says, uh, two sparrows, uh, you know, God, there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground apart from your will of your father in heaven. And you're worth more than many sparrows. Sparrows were the cheapest commodity in Jesus' economy. (laughs) There was nothing more worthless than a sparrow. And God cared so much for the sparrows that he, not one of them fell to the ground apart from his will. And you are worth more than many sparrows. You're his beloved children made in his glorious image. And there's nothing that can happen to you apart from his will. Jesus says that God knows everything. Even he has all the hairs on your head numbered. Now, I don't know if you know this, but we have a lot of hair on our head. And we lose a lot of hair. I live with three women. I know, it all ends up in the bottom of my shower. And God's knowledge of you is so inexhaustible that he knows every single one of those hairs and not a single hair from your head falls to the ground apart from his will. If he loves you with that kind of fatherly, tender care, then how much can we trust him when we're persecuted? There is nothing that anyone, any mouse in this world can do to us apart from our will of our Father in heaven. So we can trust him with judgment. We can trust him when people persecute us. We can trust him when people attack us. We're like, we're like little kids who at night, they're scared <laughs> that, they're, that somebody's gonna break into their house and they go to their parents and their parents say, look, We've locked the doors, we've made all the preparations, but at the end of the day, we couldn't stop anyone from coming into this house. But you know who you can? Your heavenly father. He is the one that you have to trust. He is the one that you have to trust in the midst of persecution. He is the one that you trust in the midst of judgment. We trust God's uh, judgment because it's, we live by faith in God's judgment because it's important for our conversion We live by faith in God's judgment because it's important when we experience persecution. And we live by faith in God's judgment because it's important for evangelism. Jesus was being evangelistic. He was teaching on missions and evangelism. And so if we're going to help people come into the kingdom and experience uh, the life-giving love of Jesus, then we've got to present his judgment. There's no way that we can understand our sin and brokenness apart from the judgment of God. Sin is living your own way. That's what the world, the flesh, and the devil want us to do. 
They want us to live our own way, not God's way. You want to know what your worst sin is? It's the sin of living your own way. The pride of living your own way and rejecting God's way. And God says that judgment is him giving us our own way. Paul says it three times in Romans 1, that, that, that uh, people were by nature objects of wrath and he gave them over. He gave them over. He gives us over to our own way. And if you, if you continue on that trajectory of going your own way in this life, then eventually your life becomes hell and you get into eternity and imagine continuing on that trajectory all the way into eternity. That's what hell is. It is the agony of going your own way as far away from God as you can possibly be and experiencing all of the terror of that. And if we don't have that view of sin, then we can't have this glorious view of the gospel. It's important because it, it helps us understand the nature of salvation. Uh, the prophet Isaiah says that all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. See, the punishment for us going our own way is the punishment that Jesus took on the cross. God had to be just, but he also had to be the justifier of those who sinned against him. And the only way he could do that was for him himself in the person of Jesus to come to earth to live the life that we couldn't live. Jesus never went his own way. He always submitted perfectly to the will and the way of the Father every single step. Every time Jesus faced persecution, he trusted his Father no matter what they did. And guess where that led him? It led him all the way to the cross. And on the cross, the only sinless person that ever lived cried out for his heavenly Father, and guess what he heard? Nothing. Guess what he saw? Nothing. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced hell on the cross for us. So that by faith in him, we would not have to experience hell in eternity. He experienced judgment so that everyone who receives him as Lord would be declared not guilty on the day of judgment. He lost God's blessings so that we could receive them by grace through faith in him. On the cross, God demonstrated his great love for us. And without the doctrines of hell and judgment, we will never be able to fully understand the depths to which God loves us. He loves us so much that he gave his only son for us. And so now the life that we live, we live by faith in the Son of God, not in the fear of man, not in the fear of persecution. We live by faith in Jesus, who loved us and gave himself for us. That's how we embrace a life on mission for Jesus. That's how we endure persecution from friends, family members, classmates, coworkers, and community members when they reject us. That's how we love people that hurt us. That's how we endure justice. The only way that Covenant Nashville and Covenant School in, 
in, in Nashville will be able to endure the persecution that they've endured is because they believe in a just and holy God who will do right. And so they can love those who persecute them. And they cannot meet evil with evil. Friends, this morning we have the opportunity to live by faith in Jesus, to trust him. If you're here this morning and you're, 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 you call yourself a Christian and you're convinced this is an opportunity for you to press more and more into the love of Jesus and to embrace his life and his ways so that you can experience life. If you lose your life for him, you will find life. Kids, if you want to have a rich, deep, meaningful life in Jesus, the way to do that is to lose your life for him. And it's the same thing, not just for kids, but for those of us who are closer to the grave and everything in between. If you want to have a rich, deep, meaningful life in Jesus, you take up your cross and you follow him. You lose your life for him so that you gain life. And if you're here this morning and you are thinking about becoming a Christian or if you're unconvinced of what Jesus has said here, I would ask you, where will you find life? Where will you find justice? Where will you find approval? I challenge you to look. Look in other religions. Look in other worldviews. Look in other places. I don't think you're going to find anything like the love and justice you find in Jesus. I don't think you're going to find another God in another religion that is going to say, I gave my life for you. So give your life to me. Let's pray that no matter where we're at in our journey, that God would help us live by faith in him this morning. Please pray with me.